You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 328, we're discussing Obi-Wan and Elvis reviews, Ghostbusters, and MCU Phase 5. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And welcome back. A one-week hiatus here in the Nerd Room. We need to take a few minutes to decompress, to take a breath across what was a relatively slow week. Where there's a lot going on in both myself and Carlos's lives. And sometimes, Nerd just has to take a pause. And last week was that, but we're here, guys, back at the mics to discuss all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. And guys, we're going to jump straight into some reviews for this week. We're going to walk through the whole season of Obi-Wan Kenobi and particularly focus on Episode 6. We've all had a chance to digest that. What happened there between Anakin, Vader, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, as well as Elvis, this week's top box office draw. Carlos is going to walk us through a non-spoiler review of what turns out to be one, what sounds like to be one of the better movies of this year. And we're also going to talk about Ghostbusters, The Batman, MCU Phase 5, Thor Love and Thunder's around the corner, and a few other news tidbits. But before we get into that, Carlos, after taking a short week-long break, how have you been, my friend? I've been good, man. Good. Busy, but uh, yeah, you know, the internet's a cesspool, so I was happy to be able to stay off it and not uh, look for news. So Yeah, <laughs> it is It is a cesspool. Hellscape, I'd like to refer to as Twitter these days, and it's, it's just, you know what, we're here to, to draw some positivity, guys, and inform you on what's going on. And bring some light to whatever the darkness is that is crowding in on your time, on your nerd. So let's get into it, man. Let's hop over to This Week in Nerd. All right, the biggest talk, or some of the biggest talk at least, in the nerd community over the last six, seven weeks has of course been obi-wan kenobi it's been quite a monumental month for star wars coming off the back end of celebration with lots of toy reveals trailers and of course this six episode series in obi-wan kenobi now we've detailed through some of the episodes particularly episode one and two in early episodes of the podcast here but we're going to talk about the show as a whole here first carlos before we get into maybe some of the details of episode six and some of the highlights of the end of the series. What are your thoughts more holistically on the delivery, the execution and what was put in front of us with Obi-Wan Kenobi over on Disney plus? You know what? On the whole, I, I liked it for what it is. There was no deal breaking elements. There was nothing that I got really upset about. Um, but at the same time, Outside of a couple of the epic clashes between Obi-Wan and Vader, there's also nothing that set my heart afire and that I got really excited about. So uh, for me, I'm kind of in the same place I was after we saw those first two episodes in that this was a good, a decent piece of um, Star Wars programming. But at the same time, I think it needed to be great and epic and one of the seminal pieces of the lore and i think you kind of got there with episode six in a bottle but on the whole i don't think given the time the time the time the money and the resources available to you that they did justice to this story that people have been waiting a really long time for um there, there was nothing I hated, and we can discuss a bit more about what their approach was and where I think they kind of let themselves down. But it just wasn't the big, epic, um, fantastic piece of Star Wars. Like, I expected it to be something like Mando, where people watch that movie and they're like, this is one of my favorite Star Wars things ever. Or even like a Rogue One, 
where Rogue yeah. One, there's lifelong Star Wars fans out there that this movie kind of comes out of nowhere. You go check it out with limited expectations, and there's a large group of people that that's their favorite Star Wars movie. So um, I think Obi-Wan needed to be on that level, and I don't think that's an unfair um, expectation to put on it, given uh, the hype that was around it, the lead up time and that they had forever to develop this thing. So mm-hmm. like I said, I, I liked it well enough, but it um, didn't quite live up to what I think it should have been or expectations, if you will. Yeah. And the balance of the expectation is something that we always try to do here, right? We try to say what are our expectations and we're not, neither you or I are really held up on headcanon as to what we thought mm-hmm. the story would should be and how it compares to what it actually was executed. It's more about, Let's 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 look, watch, and consume the story as is, and then look back and reflect back on that and see how it lands as a story, as a narrative, as a piece of a much larger, big story being told inside of that Skywalker saga. And I have to say, I'm kind of sitting similar to you. I loved it for the moments. I've said time and time again that this has been a show of moments where the big epic pieces that you do see, like the Vader and Obi-Wan battles numerous throughout, the even the introduction of Leia and Bail Organa and the cameos that we get at the, or the cameo we get at the end of episode six with Qui-Gon Jinn, of course. Those moments really landed for me, really struck me. But then there's a whole bunch of time in between where I just feel like it was okay. And that's fine. But... I, I really wanted, like you, this to be on the level of that Mando season two almost, right? Where every episode was an absolute banger and doing something very different and bringing in a piece of the lore. They had a lot to work with here with the Inquisitors and Vader and Obi-Wan, Luke, Leia. There's so much they could have done. And maybe it's just the format didn't work for it. I have a theory, a running theory, that will be put to test with Andor. And that is Obi-Wan and Boba Fett. Both shows that I think we have a relatively similar opinion on in they were good but not great. They didn't quite live up to the expectations that that aren't even put there by us, by fandom, but just that these characters and the storytelling potentially should or could. Both of those were originally meant to be films. And so there's moments in those that are really good and that maybe would have been better all jammed together in an hour and a half two hour story where mm-hmm. mando something d- developed directly for tv is something that's really hitting and andor yeah, no. is again meant and developed for tv and if that really lands i think there there might be a little something there that changing and developing and maybe getting scared of the big screen a little bit with things like solo and the sequel trilogy and retreating back to the episodic storytelling across 45 minutes to an hour episodes there i think there's something a little bit there that maybe it's not completely fleshed out or they built the show around moments yeah like there's either one of two things that clearly occurred is that they had those pieces those moments like you said and they wrote the story backwards from there. We want to do X, so how do we get there and write the story backwards? We want to do Y, let's reverse engineer how we get there. Or they take an idea and basically make a six-hour movie for it as opposed to tailoring your narrative into uh, what would fit into the six or eight episodes or whatever you want to do. And uh, yeah, just to go back on one of your points, like... We've said here at nauseum, like, yeah, there's stuff that we thought would be cool and had wish lists and stuff. But I went in like pretty uh, blank canvas to this show. It's like, yeah, I I think it would be cool if we see like a bunch of Clone Wars flashbacks in live mm-hmm. action and things of that nature. But there was no expectation on my part that we get that. So that didn't factor into um, my opinion of the show at all. I, I think where it falls down is like kind of evidenced like with the story that they told is kind of evidenced like with a character like Reva, who I quite liked and I really adore Moses Ingram. But if you look at where she ends up in that last episode, you have her on this collision course with Obi-Wan and you don't quite know where uh, her allegiances lie, 
but you kind of telegraphed that she was a survivor of Order 66. And then you have this epic fight between her and Vader. She's left for dead and then shows up on Tatooine and attacks the Lars homestead and then has that epiphany when she's about to kill Luke. So to just take the pieces that you've put on the table, like you're telling a story about the Inquisitors and about Reva's redemption at the end of the story, wouldn't it be a better story if the Inquisitors were a factor through the whole thing? If Because you telegraphed it so clearly with the Order 66 flashback where the audience knows that she's going to betray these guys and she's going after Vader. And that's a compelling story, even if you know what her motivations are. Like, how the heck is she going to get this big, bad, unstoppable Lord of the Sith? And maybe she's going to help Obi-Wan, or maybe she holds his absence uh, at the Jedi Temple away from him. So you can still play with all those bits. And then you take her to the point where either she's defeated by Vader or fails or... um, puts her trust and hope in Obi-Wan to defeating his former Padawan in Anakin and taking out Darth Vader on her behalf. And she goes to protect Luke from the rest of the Inquisitors. And then you have something for the Inquisitors to do for the entire show because they really felt like they didn't know what to do with the rest of them. Yeah. Right? And And she still has that face turn at the end and she still has agency and she probably has a better story all the way through with becoming another protector for Luke and like my other complaint with this is is like it did feel like there's a lot of pieces that they set up to spin off like they set her up to spin her off into either her own thing or into the Cal Kestis show Um, same thing with the young Princess Leia story where you could do another show with that character and Aldrun and the Organas instead of concentrating on telling the best story you can within this series and then if there's pieces that people love like if you tell a great story with Riva you'll have people knocking on the doors for her next chapter anyways right and it happens a bit more organically as opposed to trying to force it and like I didn't have a problem with anything to do with her but the way that they told that story was kind of so ham-fisted and so clumsy and it leads to moments like her standing with the stormtroopers and they're trying to shoot down this blast door and walking over to it and flicking it open, mm. right? And without kind of building in her her face turn a bit earlier or even just having her as this kind of force that you don't know which way they're going to fall, right? And you get characters like that in movies where, um, you know, even the Transformers movies have had like a rogue Cybertronian and you don't know if they're going to fall Decepticon or Autobot type of thing. And, and I think there was places to play with a character like that in just using the pieces they put on the board. Right. So without bringing in whatever Ahsoka or whatever, even like with Riva, a tighter story. So four episodes or something to that effect, right. Maybe benefits that story in parallel with Obi-Wan's where yes, you are setting up, more story to tell potentially down in the future and and i don't blame anyone for doing that but when it comes at the cost of of the grander story at times you have to start step back and think okay like what like what is the point of this because she almost has two redemption points right where she fights vader and seemingly has like you said put done that face turn but then she goes after luke and wants to kill him presumably to get back at vader who doesn't know that's his son and then yeah changes again so she has another redemption where she makes a decision to pivot again and so it just seems like you almost want to leave her knowing that luke is there and just have her story finish there where she doesn't come back into the fold but you kind of want to give i guess something to do to the lars and that which you don't really have to like i don't know if she needs to come back after episode five and you just kind of leave her there and say she knows about Luke. That's an interesting story to tell. What happens next? Yeah. Well, and like you said, like there's she's not trying to take revenge on Obi Wan at that point. It doesn't seem, but yet she's not hurting Vader either because he has no idea that the kid mm-hmm. even exists. So, yeah, it's just with the pieces that they had on the board, they didn't do the best job moving them that they could have. 
mm-hmm. I I feel like it was okay, but it it's almost like it needed just a second pass from uh, a, another script doctor or something like that to yeah. to shore it up and to tell just a tighter, more compelling story and one that you're not having to throw headcanon or um, trying to assume your motivations of your characters in between scenes. So Yeah, yeah, fully. Well, I'd say when we're talking about expectations here, I said probably the biggest expectation that everyone had walking into this was what was the Vader versus Kenobi fight going to look like? One of the most epic lightsaber battles in history occurs at the end of Revenge of the Sith, where we see the downfall of Anakin. And now we're looking for that that next moment where it's actually Vader versus Obi-Wan Kenobi, a fight that we never got live action. You know, the one that we do get in A New Hope is quite slow. It's of the time. And we were always looking for that, that middle piece of it. What happens here? Were they actually going to fight? And was it going to be epic? And so that's the next question I want to throw at you. That final battle between Obi-Wan and Vader, did it live up both in a lightsaber dueling sense, but also but also with the emotional impact that it does have at the end with the exposing of Anakin and that discussion, that conversation they have? Like they may inevitably have another if they if Lucasfilm's film feels like they want to have another meeting, but this also might be the last one before a new hope. Yeah, and to be honest with you, the thing that really sold me on that battle was actually a newer concept that they're starting to build as a cornerstone into Star Wars, and that was Obi-Wan getting his will to fight back from his interaction with Leia, which kind of reflects the Rose Tico line of don't fight to kill what you hate, fight to protect what you love mm-hmm. type of thing and that that was i thought a great pivot and that added so much more agency because like now he has a relationship with leia and he's fighting to protect her fighting to protect the people that were running those underground channels for the jedi and he's fighting somebody that he loves and trying to save them but yet you know it comes to the epiphany that his friend is truly lost uh, type of thing. So I I think the Leia bit really added to that fight for me. And um, as far as the battle itself goes with not only the lightsaber dueling, but with the addition of just the scale at which they utilize their force powers, mm-hmm. um, it was amazing. Like, I, I think it's definitely up there shoulder to shoulder with the episode three lightsaber fight and the Phantom Menace lightsaber fight. Yeah. Um, as some of the best Star Wars action that we've ever seen put to the screen. So yeah, I, I loved it. Like it, that part definitely lived up to the hype and, and I do appreciate the groundwork that they did with Leia as to how she got Ben to that point where he's got to be the biggest, baddest Jedi yeah, he gets his powers back, his, his stroke back, if you will. Yeah. I agree, man. I, I thoroughly love that. I've gone back and watched that probably three or four times, that battle. Mm-hmm. And it, it's unbelievable. Vader is a force, although defeated. I like the moment where Anakin's face exposed and the, the voice changer and his voice are both coming through back and forth. I found that really powerful. Um, I like the little bit at the end where... He calls him Darth, very similar to he does in A New Hope, where he acknowledges the fact that Anakin is truly dead. I thought that was a great way to end it because we know where this ends, right? They're, they can't, you can't have Obi Wan going in and lopping off Vader's head, right? And so mm-hmm. he know his his friend is dead and he is no more, and so so he walks away. But I have to say, man, the biggest missed opportunity in Star Wars history is when Vader's looking down at Obi-Wan in that hole, and he does not mention something about the high ground. I have the high ground now, master. Like, to me, I was like, no way he's going to say it. Like, just give me that that poetry, that yin that, and that yang, that mere image of it. I wanted that so bad in that moment. But then there's this, like, god-awful long pause there, too. I'm like, just, just put it in. That's okay. But I really thought he was going to say that. <laughs> Maybe you'll get in the in the special edition. 
Yeah, that'd be that'd be something. So yeah, that lived up to the hype for for me as well. And the series as a whole, yeah, I I wanted to love it. I love the moments, but to me, it's 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 good. It's okay. It, it does some of the stuff it needs to do, and you know what I mean. It, it gave us that story. It gave us you and McGregor back in that role, and it also gave us Liam Neeson back in the role of Qui Gon Jinn. I was pretty stoked about that, actually, when that showed up. But it also leads to a moment where you're like, wait, I thought this was a limited series. Is this is this going to a second season now? Yeah, I, I almost think it has to. And I feel that if you move forward, it'll probably make this series a bit better in retrospect, right? Because mm-hmm. people won't... Like, I, I know for me, it was just like, well, you've... you've put the groundwork in during the Clone Wars with Yoda's search to connect with Qui-Gon and you think that it would be that much easier for Obi-Wan too and they kind of tease it happening earlier in the series mm-hmm. but it never it never comes to bear um, I think if Obi-Wan had just got his mojo back and gone to fight Vader without him meeting Qui-Gon um, I would have been disappointed if the Leia moment didn't happen so yeah that that ended up being a wash for me, but yeah, it was it was awesome to see him back. I do hope that they do a second season of it, and yeah, like now more than anything, I want to see that Darth Vader series with Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker fighting in his mind's eye, and just yeah. that battle between the so two cool. entities. Yeah, I think that would be amazing. He could probably play both roles if you don't want to have Vader in the full costume. And and you could reverse engineer it into canon as to that is why Vader needs to use his meditation chamber. Yes. Is to keep the Anakin Skywalker side at bay. Bad. I love it. Oh, I'm there all day. All day. Well, that's cool, man. That is very cool. And I agree with you. It looks like they're they're leading into obi-wan or at least leaving the door open for a kenobi season two it kind of looked like uh, he was packing up shop to move out to the beyond the dune sea if you will and kind of getting into his hut but it does seem he relinquishes a bit of that watchful eye over luke and saying he is now your responsibility to the to lars and moving on with his life i got the expect or i got the the feeling that he had more adventures to go on and it wasn't all about that watchful constant eye on Luke Skywalker. And so very interesting, you know, and you still got Reva to play with in there too, about her potentially knowing a bit more than, than most. Well, yeah. Like I think this is where you can kind of start playing with Canon a little bit. And, you know, if you've saved one Jedi, then you save two, then you save three. They, hinted that Quinlan Boss is still out mm-hmm. there, Cal Kestis is still out there, uh, you have Reva out there, you do have Inquisitors as a group that they can fight and Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely some room to play with in that live action space. And yeah, we'll see. I, I think if Ahsoka goes over extremely well, uh that'll be where they know to put their their chips next. Yeah. Exactly, man. Well, there it is, guys. There's our Obi-Wan final thoughts on the show. It is, uh, it's there on Disney+. Plus. It's something I'm definitely going to revisit. I'm going to revisit a lot of the Star Wars Disney Plus stuff in the not-too-distant future here. But, man, let's move on to the big screen. And you're going to walk us through an Elvis review here. Now, it pulled in $31 million at the box office, taking the number one spot for this weekend, topping out both Jurassic World Dominion and Top Gun Maverick. Now, before you talk about Elvis here, and we're just briefly touching on the box office, Top Gun Maverick just topped $1 billion. It has the potential to be one of, one of, if not the biggest film of the year. It is likely going to outpace both Jurassic World Dominion and the Multiverse of Madness. We'll see what Love and Thunder does next week. But Top Gun Maverick, like, not, not shying away from this Elvis review, but it's pretty wild, the performance of this movie relative to everything else that's going on. Oh, man. Nobody thought that this would be a billion-dollar movie. We certainly didn't. I took it as a joke pick for my (laughs) 10th choice on our box office draft. And it looks like it could have been the movie that I would have won the whole thing with. (laughs) Handedly. 
but uh yeah no and, and you know what it deserves all the success that it it's had and i've been trying to get to see it again but um i might not get a chance because if i see any movie again i gotta say it's gonna be elvis because i freaking love this thing um you know like musical biopics we've seen a few recently with rocket man and with bohemian rhapsody and this one is something totally unique and unto itself. It is absolutely Baz Luhrmann unbound. So it probably tips a little closer to Rocketman and Moulin Rouge than it does Bohemian Rhapsody. It's very non-conventional as a musical biopic goes. But um, the story is actually told from the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks. And he's like full Colin Farrell as a penguin. Like he's all makeuped up and <laughs> put on a wacky accent. And it's uh, interesting to see Tom or um, yeah, Tom Hanks play an unaware bad guy because he is definitely the villain of the movie. And uh, yeah, like they, the movie's long, but at the same time, if you put it in the context of Elvis Presley's career being almost 30 years long, and over those 30 years, like not only was he doing different and dynamic and never before seen things and of massive cultural importance, but there was huge events happening um, mm-hmm. within society and particularly in the United States. And he actually factored in fairly heavily into all those things. And that'll be where I think the movie shines the most in that it's not just a A to Z accounting of what Elvis's life was all about, but it's kind of like the whole spine of the movie is based on the social dynamics and then what gave rise to this young man and then how he was taken advantage of. And man, I can't speak highly enough as to how inventively the storytelling is done. There is animated sequences there's the shots in the trailer, but there's a shot of Colonel Tom when he speaks to Elvis. So Colonel Tom, he's like a carnival type guy. And that's a theme being a, a snowman where you're pulling snow jobs on people to kind of uh, pull the wool over their eyes and take the money from them. So that's the theme about his character in the movie. And that's the angle that they take with talking about this man mm-hmm. and his influence on Elvis. But it's really cool. Like there, there's a scene as he's approaching him at a carnival, and if you look in the background, you see um, the marquee for the circus geek, and what the circus geek used to be in the carnivals, kind of from the 30s right through the 50s, kind of thing, was they would lure people with addiction problems and mental illness, and they would starve them and then have them go bite the heads off chickens and stuff. It's what the movie Nightmare Alley is all about. But it was, (laughs) yeah, they kind of play on that theme of how this guy took this kid's hopes and dreams and just his, his love affair with music and took advantage of that and um, used him to his own profit. So that was a, a very interesting way to build a biopic mm-hmm. was through the lens of the person who took advantage and ultimately killed um, your your musical icon. But there's a point in the movie, and like I said, they do all these different dynamic things with Colonel Tom being the narrator for the first half of the movie. There's animated sequences and dance sequences, and there's a part where he's performing and singing i think it's that's all right mama which is his first single and people in the crowd going crazy and then him tom hanks talking about the kid, him turning into a superhero and they cut into uh, gary gray's version of come together which they use in the justice league theme song and there is like some cool um comic book connections because that was something that influenced elvis quite a bit through his life and is well documented. And so I don't want to spoil that because the way they do it is really cool, but there's a through line they develop with that. But then the movie hits a point where um, they kind of transition very subtly and Austin Butler starts to take the forefront of uh, what the film is capturing with his portrayal as Elvis and man, like 
I was an Elvis fan for decades or still am. And like stuff like that 68 comeback special was on repeat in my house all the time. And watching this kid perform, I totally forgot that it wasn't the actual Elvis. Like he very, very, very convincingly uh, takes on that role. And there is so much love and respect given to how they craft the story about Elvis. And like I said, I've watched that 68 comeback special a ton of times and it actually has a pretty prominent role in this movie. And it's exact, like the way he performs, the way he moves, the way he lip syncs, they, they were very wise into having Elvis's original vocals in the movie, as opposed to trying to get this kid to sing. But uh, stuff like that was phenomenal. And then like the way the movie closes, like, there's uh, it closes on a performance and it really reminded me of something that either I read in like Priscilla Presley's autobiography or in a documentary that she was narrating, but they reinforced the fact that through all those tumultuous last years, like his voice was the one thing that never left him. Mm-hmm. And when the movie closes, they actually do show you a bit of the actual Elvis, but there's a, moment where both my wife and I were like, is that Austin Butler or is that actual footage of Elvis from back in the day type of thing? They did that good a job, especially in the, in the later years. And I got to say like seeing this thing on the big screen is actually worth your time. The way they, the, the visuals are a treat, like, and it has some very distinct visual styles through the, first second third act they're all very different which was cool because the time periods were very different as well so they take advantage of that um the way the movie is shot is gorgeous and very inventive and very experimental so it's not like anything you've seen before and when they do go into those concert type uh scenes being in the theater with this proper surround sound and seeing it on that grand scale, it, it's something that I wasn't expecting, but I was just like, holy smokes, I'm so happy that we saw this in the theater for the first time. Very cool. Because it blew me away. So yeah, like even if you're not a fan of Elvis at all, and like my one kid, like she actually both of them didn't really have a point of reference for him. We're kind of just peripherally aware of who the dude was and like my one who just likes music and well done movies adored the the movie like when she made plans to take my mom that was how you know that it's genuine that um it actually left awesome. a, an impression kind of thing <laughs> so yeah like it gets it gets huge recommend for me like it's a straight up a if i was to give wow. it a grade like if i have a knock it's the pacing might be a little weird cuz it's quite it's a, just a sprint through the first couple of years of his life. And then it really marinates through kind of that 68 to maybe like 73, 74 era of his life. And then you kind of sprint to, to the end, but keeping in mind that the story is kind of Colonel Tom's perspective on things. It, it, it just works in spades and, it's worth the dime to go see it on the big screen for sure. And cause it, it is a very immersive movie and they do a ton of cool stuff with it. So if you're looking for something different and break, uh, break up the norm, I can't recommend Elvis enough. Well, there it is. I, that review actually warmed my heart quite a bit to be honest with you. It's <laughs> kind of, I was really hung on every, your, your every word there. It's, it's cool, like you said, that you're looking for something different. And this is the thing that I've loved about 2022 so far is the diversity of movies that we've got. Um, you look at from the big scale of things down to your unexpected massive hit in Top Gun Maverick throwing back to the films of the 80s and 90s. And now you get this wonderful sounding biopic um, on one of the most influential musicians of all time. It's it's a really cool mix of movies that, that we've been able to, and particularly that you've been able to experience over the last six months or so. And so I love hearing that. It got an A-minus cinema score, which, you know, that's something that we've been tracking a little bit more to see how that's reflected on repeat viewings and, you know, the impact of that more broadly on audience opinion versus something like uh, whatever Rotten Tomatoes has, has 
morphed into over the last couple of years and so mm-hmm. i love hearing that i don't know if i'll get to the theater unfortunately to watch it but it definitely rockets to the top of the uh the rental list once we get to uh, get this out here because it seems like it should be out by the end of the summer almost on on streaming which is also kind of a cool new thing where we get these you know pretty short windows to access some of these things but man that's that's really good i'm, I'm really happy that you liked it and that uh you know we're one step closer to maybe that that eventual mj biopic down the road who knows who knows yeah there like there was a, a little easter egg that kind of warmed my heart like it was like oh baz you didn't have to do that but you're the man for <laughs> it was it was a special little nugget and then just kind of uh, actually reading um stuff and interviews with Michael and him talking about how gracious and how much the meeting between Elvis and the Jacksons during the Vegas years was on him. I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. And then even like his daughter, despite their marriage, not working by all accounts, they were kindred spirits and very close right up to the end type of thing. So I was glad that he got that little nod in there. Cause there is that, that connection between the two but uh yeah we'll see what happens like like my my boy uh nico let me know there the casting call is out for for mj so we'll see who comes to who comes to play well it's it seems like the next big one that's out there right that uh that has some serious potential a lot of story to tell and needs to be told in the right way so yeah, man, yeah. there, there it is. We got about thirty minutes of, of reviews in there. We had a lot of things to wrap up with uh, with a big movie and a big TV show coming to a close over the past weekend or so. But man, we got some cleanups to do over the last couple weeks uh, between film reviews of Jurassic World and Multiverse of Madness and Elvis, Obi Wan Kenobi, Miss Marvel debuting, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, we we kind of bypassed over some really important news, and one of the things being here and one of the franchises that has captured all of our hearts again. Is Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters Day was celebrated on June 8th, which is not coincidentally the original release date of the first film in 1984, and it's now been dubbed Ghostbusters Day, and so Sony has really embraced this day and used it as a platform to launch and detail out what is next for this growing franchise, a franchise that sat relatively dormant for almost decades, if you will. We had the call to action in 2016 and then of course afterlife this past year which really sent this franchise into relative overdrive and on ghostbusters day sony took the opportunity to to point us in the direction as to what is happening next with this franchise so they announced some really big things and one of them being a new netflix ghostbusters animated series which is amazing and it's something that was put out on april fools and not this exact thing but i fully bought into the idea that there should be a netflix ghostbusters show and here we are just a couple months later with sony announcing it they also announced the follow-up to ghostbusters afterlife which will be directed again by jason reitman and it's been dubbed firehouse and it will follow the story teased in the post-credit sequence with Ernie hudson's winston zedmore him sponsoring a new ghost busting crew and they also announced from sony pictures another animated film that will be coming out in the ghostbusters realm as well so a lot happening there in ghostbusters but carlos firehouse these animated shows ghostbusters we're gonna get a lot of ghostbusters in the next couple of years man are you are you ready yeah, I'm ready to. Yeah, I'm ready to answer the call, man. Uh, to be honest, out of all that stuff, the the thing that gets me the most excited is the Netflix animated shows. Like Netflix does a pretty good job with animation, in my opinion. Like they've done some pretty cool stuff, and you know, for for me, if we're being honest, like the thing that really kept Ghostbusters alive and endeared it to a generation of people was the animated series more so than the movie. And so I hope that they can capture a bit of that magic and bring us something pretty cool and pretty special in that space. And with it being animated, you can go back to your OGs if you want. You can do a new cast of characters, a mix of the two, 
the world is your oyster type of thing. So, yeah, and I I quite loved Afterlife. So it'll be cool to see what they do with Firehouse. I I wonder if we'll get a new cast of characters and maybe Phoebe uh, moving to New York to take up her mm-hmm. grandpa's legacy. I, I don't know that we'll get the entire cast of Afterlife back. I don't maybe think we so. do. Yeah. But uh yeah, it'll it'll be neat. It'll be neat and I'm it sounds like they're moving forward with some confidence. So Yes. I'm excited to see what they bring and uh Jason Reitman being involved with it only gives it a, a credibility. So Yeah, it's to me it's all positives here. The franchise itself is something that is near and dear to me, and we've chronicled that both from the original movie, like you said, the real Ghostbusters, the action figures have become a big part of my collecting in the last two years or so. And seeing them, like you said, go forward with so much confidence in announcing three pretty substantial projects on top of the video game that we get coming out here at some point. And they also announced a new VR video game for Ghostbusters as well. And so... This amount of movement means that Sony's behind it. You know, Sony, I find, have been on this this quest to find their next franchise for what feels like forever outside of, of course, Spider-Man. And it looks like Ghostbusters has, has that momentum behind it, has the right creative idea or the right creative behind it and the right ideas to support growth. And I think for me, I do love the idea of the animated stuff, but Firehouse or it's, I don't know if it's actually, that's what their working title is. So maybe not their actual title, but I, I'm really digging that. That that was a really cool way to bring Ernie Hudson's character back into the fold. The video game actually that we talked about not too long ago, I think is very similar to this. And so there might be some cues or some hints as to what this potentially could be in, in the next steps for Afterlife. And it looks like a franchise that potentially could get a full trilogy out of it if they continue with this momentum. So very, very excited about the future of one of my favorite franchises in Ghostbusters. Yeah, if they can get some synergy out of that video game and uh, what they do with the movie, like that could be huge for them. Mm-hmm. Like make a good game that people latch on to and gamers are a passionate bunch. So that'll just mean great things for your franchise going forward. Yeah, I don't know the exact timing on this. I did see some stuff floating around about a 2023 release date for one of these projects. And so we're not gonna have to wait too, too long. You know, maybe potentially late 2023 we could be looking at for this firehouse and that puts us only a year and a half out from from ghostbusters look we waited a year and a half from its original release date to actually getting afterlife and so it's actually not that long (laughs) to Mm -hmm. get something brand new from this franchise so very very exciting there and then what other franchise that is moving that is evolving and is something that, that you know we we talk about a lot here and that's the mcu we've got thor love and thunder coming out next week so another huge tentpole as Multiverse of Madness just fell onto Disney Plus as we're currently consuming Miss Marvel as we just finished up with Moon Knight and as we're gonna get Groot, I think, the little animated short thing coming up here. We're getting Jennifer Walters here with She-Hulk. And there's just a lot coming at us right now in the MCU. But Kevin Feige is a forward thinker. He is someone that is always looking towards the future. The present the here and now is already two years behind him. He is looking for phase five what is happening and he recently he did an interview where he did reveal that we were going to learn more about phase five in the very very near future and get a better understanding from that as to what the next big mcu saga is although he did again reveal an interview with total film that we should already probably know what it is based off all the cookie crumbs that they've left in all of these movies so carlos what i want to talk about here just briefly ever so briefly is with things like Midnight Suns tease, this is kind of the darker side, your Moon Knights and your Blade, Thunderbolts with this, you know, this little thing going on in the background with a potentially annoying character at the front of it, kind of gathering these anti-heroes. We've got things like Young Avengers, a potential scroll invasion with Secret Invasion coming out here on Disney Plus, I think by the end of the year or early 2023. We've got Kang, we've got the X-Men, the Fantastic Four. What is it? What is Faith? I what is the saga, or is it just a whole bunch of smaller stories? Are we actually gonna get something like the Thanos, the Infinity Saga? What are your thoughts here? You know, we got San Diego Comic Con coming up here, July twenty first to twenty fourth, with both Marvel and DC having a big presence. This is likely where we're gonna get this reveal. So let's the speculation begin, man. You've only got three weeks to speculate. 
Uh, I'd probably say, like, I, I was hoping that they would do something in kind of that monster side, mm-hmm. but it, it hasn't been leading there at all. No. Um, and we really won't see any of it until Blade. And yeah, if I was a betting man, I'd say Secret Wars, because yes. that'll be your gateway into bringing in your X-Men and your Fantastic Four and uh, tying off some of the multiverse stuff that you've been playing with. So yeah, Secret Wars just makes sense. You can play with all the toys in the toy box and then just go home with the ones that you want to keep at the other side of it. And and I think that'll be a cool way of doing it because the thing that gets me excited about that approach is that you could conceivably do an X-Men movie that just stands alone. Cause I yeah. think the X-Men will work bad. If you can do one or two movies where um, you just have the X-Men and they're in that quote unquote, like world that fears and hates them. I think that's going to be pretty cool. And then you don't have to kind of explain, well, why do you have such a problem with Kitty pride when Spider-Man is swinging around mm. or whoever? Right. So, um, I think that'll be cool uh, if they if they do something that's not connected, but with every intent of full bringing it into the fold after the fact, anyways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's my guess. Will be Secret Wars. Yeah, I am right there with you on that one. That's where I think it's going. I think it, you know it could potentially be the way to finish the multiverse story where you you collapse everything in, you amalgamate, you do your secret wars, you pull it all back apart, and then the multiverse stuff is done. Because it is a concept that can perpetually go on. We've seen it in the comic books where it kind of keeps rearing its head, it comes back, it gives you a mechanism to do things. And they've put some controls in place with, with Doctor Strange, but I think that could be a way to nicely wrap up that part of the saga, right? And then you still have to bring Kang in in some capacity, whether he is the one or the catalyst for Secret Wars in the big bad sense. I think it is going that way too. You know, they opened up a lot of things with at the end of Multiverse of Madness with the incursions and all of that happening. And that is a way that Hickman in that run used as a way to get Secret Wars and you get all this like patchwork of universes on Earth. But it's kind of a cool concept. And so... I think they can really run with that. They've taken a lot of cues from the Hickman stuff in the MCU, actually. And I could really see them going that way. But I also think we're going to have these smaller sagas going on in the background that aren't necessarily playing into the the bigger, massive MCU saga with things like a Thunderbolts story being told across multiple franchises and a Young Avengers story being told. And then maybe that folds into the bigger battle at some point but that they're going to be slightly independent from one another. I'm not expecting that we're going to see Blade and Moon Knight crossing over with the likes of um, Hawkeye and all that, right? I think that there's going to be some relative separation or Miss Marvel even into some of those stories. And I I kind of dig that where you can consume bits and pieces of the the universe if you really want to, um, to see a certain story, but you don't necessarily have to watch things in sequence like we've been trained to over the past decade or so. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And with all those kind of multiversal shenanigans, quite often the stories, like, in fact, Secret Wars itself, it, it just, the characters being plunked out of what they know and what they're familiar with and being dropped into um, this battleground and then whatever comes out of that, right? Or even something like Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. same thing, right? different heroes from different worlds coming together to stop your threat or, you know, they get killed off and you end up with who you end up with to save the day at the end of it all. So yeah, it makes sense. And for Kang to take the place of a character like the Beyonder is really no stretch of the imagination. So yeah. 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 Well, we shall see. We shall see. Like I said, we got San Diego Comic-Con coming up here. In a couple of weeks, which looks like it's going to be the return of the big franchises. You know, San Diego, of course, hasn't been what it was throughout the pandemic era. And with both Marvel and DC coming with promises already that they're going to be revealing big things. It means that there's some exciting things on the horizon for both of those franchises that we spend so much time talking about here. Yeah, but DC's taking a different approach, though. So that actually got me hopeful for Fandom Part 2. So... 
they're not going to have a booth on the floor and it's going to be just a Warner Brothers presentation mm-hmm. where they're showing, uh, you know, even well, stuff like the Sandman. Obviously, that's your target audience anyways. Um, but that's with Netflix. But yeah, conceivably, they'll show you whatever movie they want to shoulder to shoulder with Black Adam and everything else. But it seems like a smart move. Like mm-hmm. the Hollywood Reporter was saying that historically it probably cost them about 25 million to be on the floor in San Diego. How many people do you actually reach and how much of an impact do you have sharing the spotlight with everybody? It's like years gone by, you show your stuff, it's cool and you get to enjoy it for a few hours. And then Marvel studios does their stuff in the evening. And that's kind of the conversation Mm. going forward. Right. And then who knows, maybe Sony does Spider-Man stuff on Sunday and then everybody's like, in the shadows. So yeah, I, I really like fandom and I think you own the conversation for longer. And I think they you, need to you know. do that return to that for sure. Yeah. So hopefully that's what we get in the DC space. It sounds like, yeah, they're just doing um, a far smaller and more concise presence there. And I think that's the smart way of doing it. Why they're share gonna, the spotlight? They're going to show a new flash trailer with just Michael Keaton's Batman. <laughs> Speaking of that though, they, I did see pictures of the the big bags that they give people, and one set of bags is actually just Jim Lee's take on all their live action characters in this oh, big cool. mashup. Oh man, it's unreal! Like the one face has like Tyler Hecklin and Bitsy Tullock, Superman and Lois, and then in the foreground is freaking Michael Keaton's Batman, and yeah, it's wild. It's a wild picture. So hopefully he releases that art somewhere where you can kind of see it as a single image as opposed to just printed on a bag. But oh, I'm sure um, they will. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, we're going to put a pin in the news for this week because I finally have a purchase that I can share with our weekend nerd. And, you know, it's been a couple of weeks. Let's see what the hunt's been looking like for the both of us over in our week in nerd. All right, man. Well, welcome to our weekend nerd. This is a collapsible segment that we've that we've had over the last couple of weeks, over the last couple of months or so, because the collection has been a bit slow. And for me in particular, it has been extremely slow. But I finally made a purchase, man. I finally made a purchase. And excellent. It's 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 significant. The biggest purchase I've ever made for my collection. I actually bought a new room for my collection and then the house that my family can live in around it. Um, but yeah, we, we secured ourselves a new place to live. We'll be moving at the end of August. And so version five of the nerd room will be being constructed in some fashion. I got to figure out what I'm going to do, but there it is, man. So we, we move out at the end of July, move into this new place at the end of August. And so that's why life has been so damn hectic for me because we have not only been dealing with all kinds of other stuff, but sold and bought a new house here um, in Calgary where both Carlos and I live. And so I'm very excited that I get to share with you guys kind of the next steps as I revealed a week or two ago that my nerd room is non-existent now. Everything's in bins, packaged up, ready to go. But now it has a place to go, my man. And it's going to pick a pit stop probably in your basement for uh, two, three weeks. <laughs> Yeah, well, the Batcave is happy to host, but uh, yeah, man, that's amazing. Congratulations, and yeah, you shared the the pics with me of the new spot, and it's yeah, it's a it's a beauty. So that'll be awesome for you and your family to establish yourselves and establish the uh, probably permanent nerd room. So yeah, this is the what, the quote unquote forever home. This is the kind of the thing my wife and I said. We've had lived in a couple different places, and we said this is it until the girls are done university, which is a ways, a ways out for for us. And so it's going to be the permanent. We'll call it that the permanent nerd room. We got we got to dub it maybe something a little cooler down the road once I figure it out. But it's gonna it's gonna be very different from the previous nerd rooms. All my nerd rooms have looked very very different in style and scope. And this one, I already have plans to, to change it up quite substantially from what it was in all the videos that you can see over on our YouTube channel. So I got one more video going up that will chronicle what it looked like prior to me taking it all down. And then we'll look into the future at some point. And you can see that, but that's that's the purchase, man. And that's another big reason why I'm just, we got to buy new furniture. We got to buy all the 
bits and pieces to to, to fasten on to this new house of ours and so it's gonna be a journey man yeah no man that's that's amazing that's amazing and yeah congrats once again on taking that massive step yeah yeah well it's good man i'm not i'm not gonna bug you to come over and help me move or anything like that like our, our good friend sanjay did <laughs> oh that's uh that's okay man i that's uh that's one of the man skills I have is that I can pick things up and move them to different locations. So might not be able to build you too much, the odd thing, but, uh, yeah, I can, I can manhandle things up and down stairs and yeah, just as long as you don't throw your back right before moving day, like sunny. Yeah. So that, well, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe I will enlist you then down the road to see. We gotta, <laughs> gotta, we gotta figure it all out. That sounds like a, he's volunteering much like, uh, one Steve Rogers did to, to go to battle. So, how about you, man? How did uh, how's the last couple of weeks been for you in the collecting? I know you got you picked up a few McFarlands and that as as that game's kind of picked up a little bit, but yeah, you know thing. it. Yeah, it was a quiet few weeks, and then uh, this weekend happened, and <laughs> all that cost savings, all that uh, restraint was out the window. But uh, yeah, on the weekend, kind of went out on the hunt, and almost more so for the kid than myself. And also, there's an event by our boy Dave's uh, store snap collectibles that my wife was hosting. So uh, ended up up there and was able to secure the uh, Ahsoka Black Series from the Mandalorian for her. So the Rosario Dawson looking fig. So uh, she was pretty happy with that. And then uh, I landed my boy Ghostmaker from McFarland Toys and Honestly, it's one of the coolest figures that he's put out. Like the detailing on this guy is on point, and his design is just super sweet. From what uh, Jorge Jimenez uh, put to get together, I think he was the designer for Ghostmaker. So his his look is awesome, and they engineered the figure to really complement that design. So he's got a bunch of soft rubber pieces on him, so he could have the big um, kind of balloon type pants and that he has like his dual scabbards and stuff on his back and then on sunday there was a small toy show in the city and i hit that up with our boy troy and yeah we scored some some gems man like he got a bunch of cool stuff for the kids but um and just off this one vendor i don't know what the deal was but i i got a carded Bruce Wayne figure from the Batman Dark Knight collection. So my classic of the my T-shirt, what? my my signature shirt. Yeah, and it was ten dollars is what the guy charged me for it. Shoot. And I'm and I twenty right now for it. I, I said it in such a shocked way that his wife is like, ah, oh, actually twenty five. And I was like, well, I'd pay you that too for it. But uh, yeah, it was one of those where I was like, you know what? Even if one of these is in Martha's basement, I'm more than happy to have another one. And yes. Um, that was cool. And I also locked up uh, Crosshair for my kid from the Black Series. And it was uh, Crosshair, but with his Clone Force 99 look, which is one that we've been hunting for forever. So it's him in the gray as, impo- as opposed to the kind of Black Imperial suit that he takes on um, for the back half of the Bad Batch series. So that was cool. And um, with that and Echo arriving in the mail, my Bad Batch hunting is complete. So maybe nice. one day I will be uh, divested of having to finance the uh, clone army. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's awesome. Was it the red and white you guys are at in Calgary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but nice. not not at the red and white club. It was like literally the opposite end of the city from the red and white club. Oh, shoot. But... <laughs> yeah, it, they they kept the name the same. Very cool, man. Oh, well, I'm glad you guys were able to get out on the hunt there. Well, that's that's an exciting week of plastic for you, you know, from going from relatively quiet to picking up. I'm jealous that you got that Batman. I'll twenty five bucks. I'll go up to. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking at him right now. He's, yeah, he's he's super sweet. And like I, I just couldn't believe it when I just picked it up and asked the guy what he wanted for it like just out of curiosity he's like ah 10 bucks it's just like seriously couldn't get the money out of my wallet fast enough to pay him for that but (laughs) yeah and it's like it's pretty minty fresh so it was a it was a cool snag and yeah it was uh it was a it was a fun time just like lots of we did lots of bin diving considering i had a limited amount of time to be there because i had to get to my elvis showtime but um (laughs) 
yeah, there was there was lots of lots of treats that were unearthed, and um, I'm glad I only spent a limited amount of time there because it could have got very expensive very fast for sure. Because there's Wicked. loads of cool stuff. Awesome, man. Well, that, that's I love hearing that. I love hearing that you got kind of a nice diverse set of plastic in there, and like that it's uh, it's all coming together. You know, the hunt is real, and it continues in one form or another, and it will always continue. And I'm excited that uh, that both yourself were able to pick up things, and that I've got a I've got a line of sight now to something bigger and better. So very very excited to share that with everyone, and continue to share our weekend nerd. And guys, we're gonna be back in some form in the coming weeks here, next week, the week after. You know, we're we might have a little lighter schedule throughout the summer, given the hectic nature of our lives. And I know we like to say we like to always have something in the feed but we will make that up to you guys in the future we're gonna tease the fall the fall the nerd room is evolving is changing the fall is coming and i don't mean the fall of the nerd room i mean the actual season once we get into the fall time frame we're gonna be looking and and reframing a lot of things here in the nerd room so i want to put that tease out there that anything that we do miss here throughout the summer months we will make it up to you down the road we do promise you that but Carlos, my man, we've got big things on the horizon. You know, we got Love and Thunder to check out next week. Uh, we got to build into that. And there's there's lots of little tidbits and nuggets that we have to catch up on as we kind of backfill here from the last couple of weeks. And so I look forward to talking more Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond with you. But with all that being said, I guess I got to close this episode out by saying you can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net. The hunt is real and it's over on Instagram periodically. It's on a little hiatus there. We will find some time to get back at that. That's at the Nerd RM YouTube. Again, we're doing a similar thing where we're taking a little bit of a break throughout the summer here, but there will be some more videos going up from both myself, Carlos, and Ian throughout the summer months here as we continue to build that. So go over type in the Nerd Room on YouTube, and you will be able to find all of our videos there. Room collection tours, figure unboxings, little vlogs, these type of things are all up over there as we build out that content. And Twitter, again, you'll find us once in a while roaming around there, Carlos more so than myself, talking about all things in the nerd space. Our handles are at the end of the episode. So, man, with all that being said, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. And I'm Batman. And thank you so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.